Welcome back to the Coronary Exchange by Medtronic. So, so how do you see coronary practice changing in the coming five to ten years? What, what, what should people do? I believe that there should. Okay, I believe that every unless we're going to go into splitting our surgery into, especially into valve versus coronary surgery, which would be dreadful, as Mark pointed out. You don't want to be doing these complex operations all day long every day. I think you should have at least a couple of people in your center, but also every surgeon should be able to do a basic double mammary operation and should definitely be able to use the radio. There's, there's all sorts of uh, spectrum, the real spectrum of what is easier and, and difficult with arterial grafting, but a basic double mammary and, uh, and a radial should be the armatorium of everyone. The trouble is not everybody does this. So there's going to have to be specialty training areas to learn how to do this. One of my residents, I just gave a talk on this uh, to, our, to our sixth grade residents, and he just said, but Dr. Kieser, if people don't do it in your center, how can you learn? Right, that's correct. Off the babes. Yeah. So, so what would be your big, Mark, your, your advice, how coronary surgery should change in the five to 10 years? Your, your single most important one. Peter, thank you. Sorry about that. There was an overhead message coming in. I just want to get back on two things. Um, the astreated data of art is observational and the syntax extension study is observational. The people are allocated their therapy based on their potential for survival and surgeons are excellent at doing this. We do it all the time. We allocate mechanical versus bioprosthetic valves versus TAVI based on that. So I'm a big proponent of multiple arterial in my unit, we do 70% of patients under 70 who have multiple arteriographs. We promote it fiercely, but I want to emphasize, I don't think we have the data. I think mechanistically we have it, and I think it's at least as good as a Safnus vein. Therefore, we should use multiple arteriographs. And I think the data is there with regards to the radial, and it's completely lacking with regards to the right internal thoracic artery. In fact, there are probably people who don't use it the way it should be, and it leads to problems. And it's probably, in some cases, less robust than a vein. That, that's the only thing I'm saying. And I think we have to move the field forward. And I'm, I'm a huge proponent of it. But I'm really thirsty for more data. I think we need that data. And that data are not there. There's not a single randomized study, apart from the radial meta-analysis and pooled data together, uh, that show us that multiple arterial grafting is better with regards to how it all comes. So, yeah. so maybe, Mark, so cardiologists sometimes say, you know, uh, do you want to have a repeat revascularization with PCI? It's like going to the dentist. Or do you want to have stroke yeah. with bypass surgery? Yeah, absolutely. So, so the second thing I would say is we have to stop comparing stent failure to graft failure. They are two completely different things. I am allergic to seeing that in table threes of New England Journal papers. And their stent failure is associated, associated with a 40 to 60% risk of death, right? Mm -hmm. So it is often an acute event. It's often thrombosis. It's often, or, or uh, you're losing the artery. You lose a graft. It's more often than not indolent. And I know John has made that point before, and I completely agree uh, with him. 99% plus of the time, it probably is asymptomatic. Right. Um, so, so maybe then to John, you know, the stroke issue with coronary bypass surgery, um, anything that we can see or a trend that could mitigate that risk is, is yeah. no aortic touch. Is that, is that a trend that you see will you know, you know, gain more traction? There are three Achilles heels of uh, coronary surgery. First, it's invasive and will never be as minimally invasive as a right wrist cannulation, right? 
Second, it has a higher upfront risk of stroke. Uh, and third, we already discussed the, the attrition of vein grafts over time. So the answer to the vein grafts we've talked about, use more artery grafts. Uh, the answer to the stroke uh, issue is to understand the mechanism of stroke in coronary bypass surgery. And it is generally speaking in two sources. The first is aortic manipulation, embolism of uh, cal uh, calcification, atherosclerosis from ascending aorta, either by cannulation or clamping, or worse yet, side biting clamping on the ascending aorta, um, or potentially from uh, thrombus that may accumulate at proximal sites on the ascending aorta uh, and embolize later. The other category, of course, is post-op AFib or intrinsic cerebral vascular disease that is, um, you know, sort of a red herring that's kind of hard to avoid. But the in the operating room and early perioperative stroke is typically from manipulation of the ascending aorta. And there is an operation that completely avoids that. And it's called no aortic touch or anaortic off-pump bypass, in which we harvest both internal mammary arteries and use those two internal mammary arteries as a sole inflow to all of the outflows that we use. Typically, we combine that with a left radial artery harvest. Uh, and with those two internal mammaries um, skeletonized and a left radial artery, we can generally do three to five bypasses, revascularizing the entire heart with those two inflows. Um, that's my personal favorite operation. I do it multiple times every week. Uh, it is a technically demanding operation. And even at the Mount Sinai Healthcare System, I'm the only person doing that operation. Um, I believe I'm the only person doing that operation in the city of New York. And so do you see a trend, or John, but that's important what you just said, is that do you see a trend that, the, let's say, the generation that was brought up with off-pump surgery is still doing it, but the younger generation doesn't learn it anymore? Well, we have created the very first advanced coronary surgery fellowship. I have um, now uh, had two fellows come through. They're both uh, I-6 graduates, and they've come and spent one, and uh, one is spending a second year uh, with me uh, trying to learn these uh, techniques. It is not simple. Uh, and many of them think, uh, I've, I've had numerous phone calls from chairs around the department, people that I know and respect, and they, they say, I've got this young guy or girl graduating from my I-6 program. We're going to hire her. We want her to be our coronary surgeon. Can she come and spend a couple of months with you and learn all you know? And the short answer is not unless she's a hell of a lot smarter than I am. <laughs> she learned what I know in two months because it took me 25 years. Um, and uh, so maybe she's a lot smarter than I am. It's a low <laughs> bar, but still, um, we would expect that it takes longer than a couple of months to master sophisticated advanced coronary surgery techniques and to be able to do it reproducibly and reliably once you go back to wherever you came from. Yeah, so actually, this I, I think we need to institute across the board, across our whole profession, a new mindset. And that is yeah, coronary yeah. surgery is a specialty. There are different aspects of it that are technically far more demanding than the, than the other specialties for which we mandate, um, you know, postgraduate fellowship training like aortic or mitral. Um, and we should be expecting that each major center will have a coronary surgeon that is formally trained in advanced coronary techniques. Otherwise, yeah. um, you know, we're just not going to replicate enough surgeons able to do these highly demanding uh, procedures um, uh, on their own. Absolutely. So, so there, there are a couple of things that I just heard in the discussion now. So that's that's great. So, off-pump surgery, double memory artery grafting, no aortic touch. Uh, 
Um, all these make coronary surgery actually a little bit more complex um, and not easier. So, Teresa, where do you start with a new resident? Do mm. you put double mammary artery grafting first and then off pump, or or how do you see that? No, or do you combine no, it? it? You, yeah, there's a whole spectrum of coronary surgery, but the the mindset that has to be changed is that it is no longer just a cabbage. In the past, with one mammary, two veins, this is what residents started cutting their teeth on. And you just can't cut your teeth on what John was just saying. You know, it, you, we have to, you have to start slowly. You start gently with just one mammary and the harvesting of it with, as I said before, I really believe that you need to start harvesting the mammary early in your career. Otherwise, you're going to do what you did, which is saffron's vein for the rest of your life. And it just, you know, it's hard. I mean, and I think as Mark pointed out, you need more than just one person. You can get swamped. And I'm sure, John, you're swamped with with uh, with having to do all these because nobody else will do them. Um, and it's hard. I think the problem is it's hard work. It's hard work. You're considered the slow surgeon because arterial grafting, I don't care what you say, it's, it takes longer to do that than one memory and two veins. So the mindset has to be changed. Yeah. And do, do you see the similar trend as John just said, you know, that off-pump surgery, how do we teach the next generation? Oh, off-pump, you have to know off-pump. You have to. The trouble with off-pump surgery is it's technically the challenge. I remember Ralph Damiano said to me, the most difficult, this goes along with what Mark said, the most difficult operation in cardiac surgery is an off-pump total arterial grafting procedure. It is. It is the most difficult to do. And uh, so you... Residents can learn this, but they need to uh, they they need to go slowly. And I I think they need to have special training. It has to be. There's only right. way you could do it. So that, that, that that's the conclusion oh, of the not. discussion so far. You, you have to have a specialty yeah. fellowship program. Yeah, but I also want I forgot to mention off pump. Off pump. The trouble is you absolutely need it in about 10 to 13 to 15% of patients. So if you only do that, your expertise is not going to be maintained. So you have to do more than that. I would say, what would you say, John? Uh, at least 50% of off-pump to keep your expertise up? Like, what would you, you, what would you it, recommend? It should not be an occasional operation because then when you really need it, you're, you're just not um, you know, facile enough with it uh, to do it well. Right. Um, so for me, it's a default operation, but, you know, I think we can elevate the field of coronary surgery without advocating solely for off-pump bypass. I mean, there is a yep. good role and, for and, highly skilled multi-arterial grafting on the heart-lung machine. Um, and yes, you know, I would advocate for a single clamp. I'd still advocate for all arterial inflow, but you can do this operation even then two mammary inflow and three or four arterial graft outflow uh, with the heart lung machine and, and arrested heart with a single clamp and a very low stroke rate. And it's technically certainly easier than doing it on a beating heart. And that's a perfectly reasonable operation that would be much better than a, a lima and three veins with a partial clamp on the aorta for the proximals, which is you know a common operation still today as it was in 1975. Yep. So, you know, we have lots of room to improve as a field without expecting everybody is going to be performing no aortic touch, all arterial bypass. Um, yep. You don't have to shoot for the stars. Uh, we, we, we can improve the field and elevate the quality of coronary surgery globally uh, by, by some much simpler um, uh, 
adjustments and, and steps forward. And this is why, you know, David Taggart and I created the International Coronary Congress seven or eight years ago to try to bring together um, coronary surgeons from around the world. And recently uh, with Mark and other and you and basically everyone on this call involved and with the support of Medtronic and other corporations that are like-minded, we've created the International Society for Coronary Artery Surgery. We want to exchange best practices. We want to uh, advance the field of surgical coronary revascularization globally. And it's not about off-bump. It's not about religious zealots for one particular kind of coronary surgery. It's about embracing all the different aspects of coronary surgery, trying to understand them, uh, trying to improve them, trying to disseminate them to improve the quality of surgical revascularization globally. Because to be honest, you know, the, the notion that coronary surgery is going away is it, it's nonsense. Right. And coronary so, surgery, coronary bypass surgery is the only surgical therapy for the number one killer of human beings. Right. Think about it and, that way. This is the number yes, one killer of human beings is coronary atherosclerotic heart disease. And coronary bypass in all of its different iterations and, and, and approaches is the surgical therapy of that. We good. have so, so maybe can I improve. Okay, can I, can I bring one other aspect in here that, that we see a trend is in, in robotic surgery. They, those are introduced in many ORs, uh, not so much in cardiac surgery, but in others. Is robotic surgery, would that be um, um, a tool to improve outcomes, Mark? Um, is that just a marketing trick or is it really an advantage having a robot for coronary surgery? Well, thanks, Peter. Uh, I think it's. I don't think it's a marketing thing. It it may be, but I'm not aware of it. Uh, I think there's already a invasiveness problem with bypass surgery the way it is today, right? Uh, and because of that, society and medicine in general has been willing to accept uh, less optimal, albeit less invasive, alternatives. So you can't um, fault people for that. That's completely understandable. There's quite an invasiveness price to pay with bypass surgery, and it's probably closer to 12 months than six months. And then you have what I call the 30%. Uh, it's, there's many data indicating that probably about 30% of people don't heal their sternotomy in a, in a completely satisfying fashion, either from chronic pain or tenderness or lack of union. So it's not nothing. I mean, we, this is an invasive operation and we have to deal with that. Uh, to me, that I think all of you know, this is the problem at the crux here. Uh, multiple arterial grafting is an issue as well, but you can combine both. You can find a way to perform a non-sternotomy revascularization. And I'm not saying, again, that there's data supporting that it's better, but we are getting those data. There's a randomized control trial right now uh, with some support from Medtronic after peer review uh, at Global, and we're very thankful for that, uh, that will look at recovery after multivessel bypass surgery performed either minimal invasively or performed by sternotomy. And I think we need an answer. Even in valve surgery or uh, less invasive LVAD implants, for instance, we don't have the data that thoracotomy is less invasive. And, and, and the paper that's about to come out or came out last week in circulation with regards to HVAD versus HeartMate 3, there's a very interesting subgroup analysis. The thoracotomy patients did less well, right? The sternotomy was protective with regards to poor outcomes after LVAD implantation. So I think the jury is still out on this. Like the same way uh, with regards to the right memory artery, we have to be adopters. You can do it well, and it's important to push a field forward, but we need more data. Invasiveness to me is at the crux 
of what bypass surgery still is in 2021 and has to be addressed yesterday. And obviously, everyone on this panel and including Medtronic are working really hard to address this because we have to do something about it. I agree with uh, Mark. I want to pick up where he he touched on the issue of using the right mammary correctly. And I think that, you know, I'm guessing, and I don't know all the literature on the right coronary, but I'm pretty familiar with a good bit of it. I think that most of the right coronary right IMA failures have been from free grafts. The right mammary is not often used as an inside to graft. It's often attached to something else. And I have always found it very difficult to sew an internal mammary to the ascending aorta. I think that anastomosis is fearsome. Yeah. Uh, it is, the aorta can often have a wall thickness that is enormously different. And the, radio, the, the right internal mammary may be very thin, walled, it may be small. I think that anastomosis is just basically too hard to do. Uh, for me, the right mammary is used as an in-situ conduit, and it's extended with radial artery conduit if needs be to reach its target, or it's anastomose to the side of the left internal mammary artery, or it's put on the hood of a vein graft on the ascending aorta and sewn to the hood of that vein graft, not sewn to the aorta. I think in those configurations, it's a perfectly reasonable uh, conduit for all the same reasons that the left mammary is a great conduit. Um, but if you try to sew an internal mammary to the aorta, uh, I don't think you can do that a thousand times in a row with a perfect result. Uh, I don't think right. I can do it yeah. 10 times in a row with a perfect result. It's just too hard. That's an important technical aspect. Uh, uh, absolutely. Uh, great that you mentioned that. So, so Teresa, what was your, what your, what's your approach to this Is when you use well, the right memory artery? Well, I want to just um, make one comment on the... Um, on the robotics, I think I agree with Mark. We have to have innovators and early adopters to move the pro, move the specialty forward. However, the difference between it's taken a long time for robotics to get open uh, to everybody. This, in fact, it's not. It's, it's only a very few sort of people that can do this. And I think the trouble is the minimally invasive other procedures are dealing with one small area of the heart, minimally invasive mitral valve, minimally invasive aortic valve, whereas cabbage, coronary artery surgery, is the whole heart. You need access to every asset, top, bottom, and side. So it's very difficult to do that minimally invasive. But we have to progress with this because Mark is right. We have to tone, we have to reduce the uh, invasiveness. And where would we be without Cribier and his Tavi? You know, this is an example of, of being absolutely thinking outside of the box. So that's my thought on robotics. It's taking a long time because we need total exposure to every aspect of the heart. And that's hard to do. It can be done, but really by few people. Now, with the RENA outflow, I think, um, you know, in my own practice, I have found ways to make the RENA uh, as an in-situ graft. Uh, you go extra pericardial for the, for the PDA and... It, it works very, very well. 90, 90% of my remas are, are to the PDA are in situ. But having said that, I think there's another reason why the rema fails. I think it's outflow. If you put a rema to the transverse sinus to a circumflex, if you put a rema to the PDA to the posterolateral, 
you do not have the same outflow as a Lima to the LAD. The LAD supplies 66% of the left heart supply in uh, right dominant and 58% in left in left dominant. So I think it's outflow that that you, we were always compared to the poor, the poor Rima gets compared to the Lima. And he goes, well, look, my brother's got twice as much outflow. It's not fair. You know? right. <laughs> it's just a good thought. I'd like to comment so, on the, the robotic. Um, you know, I do robotic coronary surgery, which is, frankly, a robotic skeletonized ITA harvest, and then a very small, like four centimeter skin incision to do a direct hand sewing anastomosis to the LED. We have done a very small number of totally endoscopic uh, coronary bypass grafts with the Flex-A surgical stapler device, which is no longer available. Um, you know, the, the number of surgeons who are trying to harvest both internal mammary arteries with the robot uh, you can count on the fingers of one hand, uh, and uh, a few of them do it very well. What we need, and this is a plea to Medtronic and other industry um, giants that have the uh, intellect and the finances to, to take on a challenge like this, we need a robotic platform that will deliver a miniaturized facilitating anastomotic device so that we can, you through a left thoracoscopy approach, harvest both ITAs, which is entirely doable. I've done it myself, so it's not rocket science. Uh, and then put the RITA uh, to the LED and the LITA to the biggest marginal um, with a totally closed chest approach. Those patients could go home the next day or two days later. That's possible. It's been done. Um, and if the right coronary needs a drug-eluting stent, well, that's about as good as a vein graft, as we've discussed right. earlier. Yeah, uh, And that would be a giant step forward. But to make that operation doable by, all, by more than three people on the planet, uh, it's going to take a significant investment in uh, high-tech equipment that is much more user-friendly than what we have now. Asking okay. surgeons to harvest the two mammaries with the present da Vinci device, for instance, that's doable. But asking them to then use that device to sew one stitch at a time the distal anastomoses on the LED and the, and the circumflex, that is not an activity that most surgeons are going to uh, master or even want to try to master. Right. Um, we need to have a facilitated device that will make that automated and much easier than it is now. Thank you for listening. Be sure to subscribe at medtronic.com slash cardiac exchange to hear the next portion of this conversation and to find additional podcast content.